We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. March has arrived and we're only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, $100,000 starting March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action. And with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. I mean, I think somebody asked me, how do you win the game? You know, I said, score more points. <laughs> That's what we did. Um, but I, I think the way we played um, was awesome with the belief that we could win that game and see it. The way guys uh, battled the confidence in taking shots, big shots, ATO, awareness, and execution. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. We don't have to start this podcast with a chorus of bagpipes. Thank God, Sam. (laughs) And for those of you who did not listen to our last episode, the reason I say that is because we literally had the conversation of what are we going to do if we go into this next episode with the Suns losing six games in a row? We actually said five games in a row, but it would have been six games in a row. But thank God, Aaron Baines came 
and really changed our moods this week pretty dramatically. My name is Mike. Of course, I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing legitimately great, Mike. This was uh, the best week I think Suns fans have had since the beginning of the season. I mean, between Aaron Baines, it it really felt like uh, the team woke up and that some of that early season magic was back. You had Aaron Baines splashing Mm -hmm. threes. You had Ricky Rubio with sustained great play. Devin Booker, Dario Sarge woke up a little bit. Mikhail Bridges is balling. Mm-hmm. You know, this, no doubt the Suns have injuries. They're facing adversity right now without Cam Johnson and Kelly Oubre and DeAndre Ayton. Everyone stepped up in the past couple of games, and uh, it, it's just a really refreshing sight to see the team go 2-1 and one this week against some solid teams. Uh, also really refreshing that we get to open this podcast without doing any of the ridiculous suggestions <laughs> that people offered up after our episode last week. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. First of all, thank you for everyone giving us those uh, suggestions, but also just thank you to anyone who even listened to that episode, because <laughs> at that point of the season, the Suns had just lost to uh, basically two of the worst teams in the NBA, and then followed that up with the day we released the episode, uh, a player falling on DeAndre Ayton's ankle and injuring DeAndre Ayton's ankle, and he was out for an undetermined amount of time right now. We don't re- really know how long he's going to be out. Uh, so a lot of people would have had to listen to that even after that injury. <laughs> so thank you to anyone who even listened to that one. I'm not sure I would have. Uh, so thanks for the suggestions. It's nice that we didn't have to do any of that. It's nice that we can come on <laughs> in this episode and actually talk about two really fascinating wins. Now, I, I really thought... After those losses against Detroit and Golden State, and then the eight and ankle injury, once that game ended, I thought, well, this is this is kind of the low point of the season by a, a lot, and it's going to be a disaster to record an, a podcast after this. And all of a sudden, Aaron Baines had basically the game of his life uh, against Portland, where he scored, I believe, 37 points and 16 rebounds, and nine three-pointers as a center uh it was just completely insane to see that now we should quickly talk about deandre ayton being out it it really sucks now i of course they're playing well in these these two games and i think we're going to spend some time talking about why they're playing well and what's going right but in no way is this a good thing it's gonna just basically deandre ayton's gonna struggle to get to even playing half of this season it seems like it's just not a lot of games um what do you think about the the injury sam well, the suspension obviously continues to hurt because, yeah, it means that's 25 fewer games than he, than he could have played regardless of these injuries. Um, it sucks because, and, and not just for Aiton, but also for Cam, because development is the name of the game right now. And the Suns are, let's face it, kind of at the point where they're playing spoiler more than they're really chasing an eighth seed. Uh, and so you you struck magic a little bit a few weeks ago with that starting lineup of Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker and Ubre and Bridges together and then Aiton at the five. And, and you wanted to build on that as much as possible and really get some chemistry going into next season. Instead, we're going to end up, and we talked about this last week, with some of those small sample sizes instead. Um, so yeah, it's it's unfortunate for us as fans. It's unfortunate for DeAndre Aiton. Um, it's really presented an opportunity, though, not just the Aiton injury, but also the Ubre injury. For Dario Saric and Aaron Baines, two guys who are in contract years, uh, to seize the opportunity to wake up a little bit, uh, and I still don't know, based on what Gambo has said, if the Suns really have any interest mm-hmm. in bringing those guys back or not, but both of them are definitely present in the moment right now. They're taking advantage of the opportunity that they've been given, and both of them right now, not just Baines, but I think Saric as well, are proving that they still have a lot to contribute on the basketball court. Yeah, absolutely. I think Aaron Baines... 
in that Portland game, we should talk about that Portland game first a little bit. In that Portland game, he was basically wide open uh, the entire game until until it was too late, <laughs> until Portland was basically scrambling. Now, Portland is still trying to make the playoffs. Damian Lillard, that was his second game back after the groin injury that allowed Devin Booker to be an all-star. Shout out to the Suns fans who were at the game who did cheer for Damian Lillard when he was announced in that game. Nurkic is still planning on coming back, and they're really struggling to get into that playoff race. So to see all of that fall apart on the back of Aaron Baines was actually kind of uh, fascinating. It's not like this was a team that, you know, almost like the Suns, where the Suns are not really playing for anything at this point. Just like you said, they're more playing as a spoiler than anything else. This was a team that's still trying to win. This is a team that's still trying to make the playoffs. Uh, their their guys are fighting to get back into the games, like Damian Lillard and Nurkic are. And uh, somehow, the Suns were able to pull it off against them. It was a really impressive game. Of course, it's it's easy to talk about Aaron Baines and what he did in that game. There were a lot of other contributors. Like you said, Dario Saric is, is having a, a, a nice uh, stretch in these last few games where he is starting once again. And uh, they look they look good. They look like a competent starting five. And then Mikhail Bridges is still doing Mikhail Bridges things where he <laughs> is the glue bringing everything together. And of course, if you look at the plus minus in every single game, Mikhail Bridges is right there up at the top. I know that's a confusing stat and doesn't always work, but I think over time you, you can, you just know for Mikhail Bridges, it makes sense. What he's doing matters a lot in these games uh when it comes to just outscoring the other team and it sometimes it means scoring now he has more of a role mm -hmm. to actually shoot the ball and, and cut because there's no kelly Oubre in the game there's even without cam johnson he's now has to uh he has to shoot more threes and uh but sometimes it means defending the best players they, they've started some of these games with him guarding point guards with him guarding chris middleton with him guarding damian lillard with him guarding cj mccollum he's got the toughest assignment just regardless of at what point of the game it is uh so fascinating game what did you think about the portland game uh the portland game was was awesome i mean just to talk about aaron baines quickly i know we kind of moved on from him but best best performance in any game by a phoenix sun since uh what devin booker scored 59 last year or maybe yeah. his 70 point game a few years ago like other outside of any devin booker performance that was probably the most exciting performance by any son to watch just because of how unexpected it was since i don't even know mike like goran dragic dropping 40 points in 2014 <laughs> like i think it rivals that in terms of how cool it was mm -hmm. and you know it's cool for baines look it's easy for the Suns to win games when they hit threes they are shooting 40% from deep since Kelly Oubre went down. The wins are going to come if they keep shooting like that. It's just plain and simple. That's why they were winning games at the beginning of the season, too, when they started off 7-4. and four. Teams don't game plan for Aaron Baines because they're so afraid of Devin Booker that they continue to throw these defensive schemes at, at Devin Booker with either heavy trapping or zones that try to force him in, into particular spots. They don't necessarily trust the shots of guys like Aaron Baines and Dario Saric, and I can't say I blame them, given that those guys have been shooting in the low 30s uh, for their three-point percentages for most of the season. But every once in a while, Baines has a phenomenal game like he did in the past two games where he makes them pay for that strategy. And it was just so awesome to see splash after splash from Baines. The step-back three that he had <laughs> over Damian Lillard, obviously the highlight in that one, but all of the, all of the relatively simple catch-and-shoot ones too. And I think, you know, beyond that, the difference, and we've talked about this at length this season too, the difference between the Suns in the past few years and the Suns this year is that 
their shooting has always been streaky. It's been streaky this year, and it's been streaky in previous years. But you've got guys this year in Dario Saric and Aaron Baines who can catch, pump fake, and put the ball on the floor. Mikhail Bridges is, is doing that increasingly now, too that Kelly Oubre is out, and he's kind of assumed this increased role. Frank Kaminsky did it before he got injured, and it's kind of just the essence of .5 at its best. The Suns are capable of winning games like this because they have so much penetration coming from all five positions. That includes Aaron Baines. You know, when his very first bucket of the game was him pump faking and then taking it all the way down the lane and dunking for, Mm -hmm. I think, like the Suns' first or second basket of the game. So it's something that all of these guys are doing. You don't get these wide-open threes without at least some of that penetration coming from uh, the rest of your offensive game plan. So, you know, that was one of the main things I took away from the Blazers game, just uh, how cool it was to see that. Obviously, it's easy to win games when you shoot 40% from deep, though. I mean, that's, that's just simple yeah and i think that it also once again underscores how important it is for deandre ayton at some point to start shooting three-pointers and i'm glad you talked about Dario shards there because his pump fake and his drives that works a lot better when there's nobody else in the lane when there's nobody else near the basket and so that can that can happen two ways Uh, with the current iteration of the Suns, the team that's playing right now. That can happen either with him at center, which he's playing more time at center, so there's there's five out, and he's able to pump fake and drive, and that gives him opportunities to play make. It gives him opportunities to uh, attack the rim without a lot of help defense. Um, And, you know, he can shoot the mid-range shot. I don't really enjoy it, and he doesn't shoot a lot, which I think is good. Uh, But also, if he's playing with Aaron Baines... Aaron Baines just spends a lot of time behind the three-point line because he's a threat behind the three-point line. And that means when he catches it and he pump fakes and he drives, uh, there's just a lot more space once again in in those lineups. And, you know, I just found myself thinking, this looks really good and uh, probably DeAndre Ayton should start shooting three-pointers at some point. I know he said he would this this, uh, season, but I think there's, there's absolutely no reason for him to not work on that three-point shot this entire offseason and come to the team next season shooting those three-pointers. What do you think? Yeah, shoot threes and and dribble. Um, And we've talked about both of those things in the past. Um, Because even once he gets to the point, I want him to be able to do the same exact thing that Baines does, where he catches at the top of the key, he pump fakes, and then he's not afraid to put the ball on the floor. Uh, And then once, you know, the opposition sees a seven-foot-one, 250-pound train coming down the lane, um, either they'll be so afraid of it that they avoid the contact and he goes for the easy dunk, or they'll collapse in and and he'll be able to create other looks for other players. That's how you go from a highly efficient kind of starter, which is what he is now, to an actual superstar who has that potential two-way impact. Because no one questions, uh, well, some people on the national level question. But if you're a Suns fan, I think no one questions that DeAndre Aiden has gotten a lot better at defense this year. And we've been talking for a while about how his defense is probably legit. Next thing for him on offense, honestly, even before the shooting, I'd like to just see him practice that dribbling, and then I think the three-point shooting will naturally come, and he'll be able to turn into more of a Carl Anthony Towns-esque, Joel Embiid-esque offensive superstar. Yeah, I think there's no chance for the three-point shooting to happen this season. I I think that ship has sailed. No, yeah. Uh, So for me, I'm I'm more looking forward to he has an entire offseason to work on something. It should be that shot, and then he should come back next season with at least the confidence to shoot it. Now, I I don't know how good it's going to look. I'll be honest. I I have my doubts sometimes. He shot a pretty good percentage in college, but um, the shot just looks a little flat, as we've all seen. 
but but as we've talked about many many times, even if it's thirty percent from the three point line, that's better than thirty five percent from that mid range area. And I think it's more effective when you're planning on pump faking and driving. There's a lot more space when you're out further away from the basket. So if he wants to do that, he can. The next game after that Portland game was against the Milwaukee Bucks. Now the Suns have had some good luck against the Milwaukee Bucks in the past, even when Giannis is playing. And that's usually with DeAndre Ayton actually defending him. DeAndre Ayton out, Giannis out. The Bucks are actually pretty good without Giannis in, in the lineups. So the Suns still had a game that they would have to play very well to win against the Bucks here at home, where they've played badly throughout the season. And they won. They won again. And it, it came on the back of, once again, a great performance by Aaron Baines, who continues to hit threes uh, and get rebounds. I think his rebounding has increased in those last two games than it was earlier in the season, even when they were playing well. And, of course, uh, a triple-double by Ricky Rubio, uh, an incredible first half by Devin Booker, where he still continued to play well in the, in the second half, but the first half was just he was scorching hot. And once again, excellent three-point shooting, which is what it takes for the Suns to beat good teams. Uh, what did you think about the Bucks game? Another very good game. Um, I think the reality of the Suns playing offense without DeAndre Ayton and Kelly Oubre means Devin Booker sees so much defensive attention that in order to win games, you really need those other four guys in the starting lineup to basically all step up. Uh, and that's, again, why it's been so refreshing to see guys like Baines and Sarge and Bridges, A, hit their spot-ups. Uh, you need to convert those threes. You need to convert those spot-up opportunities, but also start to drive, uh, not be afraid to seek out contact. And I think all of them have done a good job with that. With Booker, he was phenomenal, but every team is game planning for him at this point. I, I pointed out on Twitter uh, two different times this week, once against the Raptors for a stretch and once against the Bucks for a stretch, uh, the defenses were putting him, uh, they, were, they were putting themselves into a box and one against Devin Booker, which in case you don't know what that is, it's a form of zone coverage where you've got four guys essentially around the four corners of the paint, um, and then one guy out on essentially whoever you're trying to stop, the primary scoring option of the opposition. And it's a way where you don't really have a dedicated defender guarding the entry pass to the middle of the paint. So if you've got like a dominant big man or a dominant role man, it's very easy to break a box in one. But obviously the Suns don't have that without DeAndre Ayton. And you're also not really guarding the corners or the wings very effectively. So it can allow a lot of spot up opportunities. So when teams go into this defensive system, they're essentially banking on the Suns shooters can't shoot. We're going to put all of our attention on Devin Booker. He can't pass to the middle because Aaron Baines is not the same type of inside presence that DeAndre Ayton is. And generally, they're right about all of those things. So I don't think it's a bad strategy to do that. The Suns have only been able to make them pay because they're continuing to convert on these spot ups, working point five, uh, creating opportunities for each other. Um, so I think, you know, Devin Booker has been phenomenal. To be able to see that type of coverage and still pour in 38 points like he mm -hmm. did against Milwaukee, that obviously says something about uh, the fact that he's back uh, and the fact that some of the questions we had about him last week were, were a little bit uh, too soon and premature. Uh, and that, you know, he he's very capable of closing out the season on a high note. But beyond that, it really just it's it takes the whole team to be able to step up to beat a team like the Bucks, even without Giannis. And I'm very proud that the Suns were able to pull it off. Yeah, it turns out that uh, he just got a tattoo and his arm hurt. <laughs> As we were talking about with uh, Devin Booker, we we it was just odd. He, the few games that he played before this stretch, uh, it was odd. He looked a little checked out. 
And, um, you know, it could be because uh, he was in pain. Now, maybe not tattoo related, but he, as we talked about before, his wrist was also wrapped. That seems to be gone. He's once again attacking uh, traps, which is kind of fascinating. But I think what was impressive in both of these games was his passing. I think he was making really smart decisions with the ball, finding open shooters, leading guys to spots, finding mostly shooters. I mean, this is the case where uh, they can play five out. I really enjoy watching Devin Booker uh, with a five out offense, not just Devin Booker as well. Ricky Rubio, who we're going to talk more about later, uh, but someone like Ricky Rubio, who doesn't really shoot himself, uh, really benefits from being surrounded by uh, five shooters because he's such a creative passer. And I think especially for both of these games, I think they were laser focused on playing fast. And if you have shooters, you're playing fast. That's, that's a recipe to win in, in today's NBA for the Suns or for any other team. That's how the Warriors won a championship, you know, great shooting and playing really fast. So it's kind of fascinating. I do think it's interesting that Baines seems like he is the biggest other than of course, uh, Devin Booker, Bain seems like he's the biggest like mover as moving the needle as far as winning. Uh, the Suns, I think they're 19 and 22 uh, when Aaron Baines plays and only like 12 and 18 when DeAndre Ayton plays. Oh, wow. it, it's, it's, it's actually kind of fascinating to see how big of a difference Aaron Baines makes. And you talked about it a little bit with uh, Gambo reporting that the Suns aren't interested in bringing back either Dario Saric or Aaron Baines. I do understand the Dario Saric one, uh, mm-hmm. especially from the point of if they don't see him as a starter, which I think there is a case to be made that he's not just based on the, the lineup stats with uh, both Ubre and Bridges in, in the lineups. Um, but Aaron Baines, it's hard to make an argument for not keeping him. They need leaders. Uh, they need a backup center. I understand that he struggled staying healthy, but I think a lot of that you can point at, the fact that DeAndre Ayton was out for 25 games and he was thrust into a role that he's not used to doing. So uh, after these last two games and seeing the Aaron Baines that was here at the beginning of the season back, uh, what do you think about that report by Gambo? Are you a little more concerned with the fact that they're not bringing back Aaron Baines the way I am? Yeah, no, I'm very concerned. I agree with you 100%. Uh, And I think this was one of the moves, especially if look, the other half of that Aaron Baines move was acquiring Ty Jerome, right? And that doesn't exactly look like it's paying off right now. I like Ty Jerome. We'll see what he can potentially become, but it hasn't panned out out yet. So Aaron Baines is really what you're hanging your hat on on that move if you're James Jones. I think it's a no-brainer to bring him back. And again, Dario Saric, I understand that because my kind of whole philosophy without making a whole big deal out of it and getting into an extended free agency conversation, which will come in, in the upcoming months, um, but my general philosophy this summer with how weak of a, of a free agent class it is, uh, is don't offer long-term extensions because you want to preserve your cap space for 2021 uh, when you have the opportunity to chase a big fish. However, if someone's willing to take a one-year deal, awesome. And Aaron Baines, as a 32, 33-year-old veteran, should be willing uh, to hear the Suns out on a one-year contract extension. I'd be more than happy to bring him back as a veteran for another year. Um, Dario Saric is probably the type of guy who's going to be looking for three or four years, um, or maybe even just two. Uh, We'll see what kind of value he even has in free agency, given the way he's played this year, but I'd be a little bit more nervous about something like that. Yeah, and I just wonder if they just 
assuming that Aaron Baines is going to try to chase a championship right. at this point of his right. career. And that's the other thing is you have to think about what are realistic goals for the Suns. What we know about this draft class, and we haven't started talking about it yet, but we will soon. What we at least think we know about this draft class is that there's no one coming to save the Suns, even if they win the lottery somehow and get the number one pick. There's no prospect like Zion who can come and save this team in year one. Um, and maybe not even a prospect who can come and save them in any year. The free agency class is very bad. The Suns' treasure chest of assets that they had to make trades a few years ago is mostly gone. There is not really a way for them to improve. You know, they're not going to shoot up. If the goal this year now is 30 wins or low 30s, they're not going to shoot up from that uh, to 55, 60 wins in a year. So if Aaron Baines wants to play for a contender now, before his contract is over, um, then he really may want to think hard this summer about jumping ship and going to an actual contender. Because for the Suns, it's going to be all about incremental improvements and internal developments and how can we push from 30 to 40 wins and then from 40 to 50. It's just not realistic to expect them to do a 20 or 25 win jump in one season. Uh, so Baines may just not be on board with that. Yeah, and and he just fits so well on every contender. I mean, he he plays excellent team defense. He can protect the rim and he can shoot threes. I mean, that works on the Bucks. That works on the Lakers. That works on the Clippers. It, it just would make sense for any of those teams to want him. And I think he it's possible that he's made enough money in his career. He's it's not like he's had huge contracts, but it's possible he's made enough uh, to be okay maybe taking less money and going to a contender like that. But uh, obviously, we don't know. We don't really know anything about Aaron Baines and what he wants to do. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on that Bucks game? Um, you know, with anyone else? Obviously, there was a lot of players that played well. I think we saw some interesting uh, Dario Saric again played very well. We saw some Mikhail Bridges. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the starters and and the the way they played in that game. But did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to touch on? Um, I think we're going to talk about Rubio a little bit later, right? But I'll quickly give a shout out to Mikhail Bridges. I just wanted to say. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, I tweeted out earlier today, his true shooting percentage is now above 62%. Uh, it's the highest on the Suns of any player with at least 500 minutes played. Shek Diallo technically has a higher one, but Shek Diallo doesn't play that much, so I'm, I'm not really counting it. Um, what I think is easy is I think sometimes it's easy to have a low usage role and have a high efficiency, right? You only take a few opportunities a game, few layups here, cut here or there. Uh, and and then the occasional three. And that's essentially what we saw out of Mikhail Bridges uh, to start the season when he got to hide behind Kelly Oubre and let Kelly Oubre kind of handle the scoring load. But since Kelly Oubre has been out, I think we should give some credit to Mikhail Bridges because he's really taken charge. It's much harder to score and sustain that high level of efficiency once you are expected to be one of the primary scorers for your team. And Mikhail Bridges now has scored in double figures for a career-high streak of six games, over the past six games, which is how long Kelly Oubre has been out, he's averaging 15 points per game, five rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block, 55% from the field and 44% from deep. He's routinely taking contested threes because he knows he has to. He's driving to the basket. He's already very good at cutting, and we've talked about that. He's already very good uh, at creating those kind of deflections that create easy transition opportunities. So... You know, essentially, we've talked about Mikhail as being the complete package for a while now, but I kind of just want to reiterate that even I didn't expect him to be this far along so soon with the way he's playing right, right now. Um, right. And he's got real Swiss Army knife potential that I think would have seemed crazy to a lot of Suns fans who are kind of ready not to give up on him exactly 
at the beginning of the season, but definitely there was this stretch at the beginning of the season when McHale was shooting sub 30% from three, and a lot of fans were thinking maybe we stumbled on uh, something that was too good to be true in his rookie year, and we were overhyping him a little bit. I think the hype is real, um, and I think if there's anyone you can bank on and kind of invest stock in for the future, it's a guy with uh, the work ethic of Mikhail Bridges. I just think it's fascinating the way he can just fill whatever role is necessary. Now he's, without Kelly Oubre on the team, he's now attacking in transition in a way that he just wasn't before because he wasn't asked to do that. But now he is, and he's fine. he had a Euro step in the game. He had a dunk and one exactly. in the Portland game. He's doing things that you just don't really expect out of him because his basketball IQ is so high uh, he's capable of understanding where there are gaps and filling those gaps. And I think you we've talked about the Shane Battier comparison for Mikhail Bridges in the past. I think he's basically already there for what Shane Battier was doing, even in his prime for a, a few seasons with Shane Battier. And of course, this is a sh- short stretch of, of his career for Mikhail Bridges, right? Uh, we're just c- trying to project forward of what he can be. And I think that is kind of something that you can almost bank on at this point. And and the question is always with Mikhail Bridges, how good can he get? And we have to remember, he came into the NBA an older player, so he's a little bit ahead on a development curve compared to other rookies that came in in the same season as him. Uh, but I think it is, it is, it's just going to be really fascinating to watch what he can become and what his career uh, will be. It's just... To me, you watch him and you go, that's just a championship player. That's the type of player that you need to win championships. I will not be surprised if he ends his career with championships. I just hope it's here on the Suns. That's for sure. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. We have a lot more to talk about. We'll be right back. Ever wonder why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untuck It shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Don't just take my word for it. Try Untuck It for yourself. Visit untuckit.com and use the code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. This week in Suns History On March 14th, 2007, the Suns and the Mavericks faced off in one of the most memorable regular season games of all time. This game had all the narratives covered. At the time, the Mavericks had won the most games in the NBA and were on a record-setting pace at 52-10. The Suns, however, were not far behind. They had the second-best record in the NBA at 49-14. In addition to having the two best teams, this game also featured the top two MVP candidates, former teammates and still best friends, Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki. Steve had won MVP in the previous two seasons, while Dirk was the frontrunner to win this year. The hype going into this game was enormous, and it did not disappoint. This game was close most of the way, but Dirk powered his team to a 7-point lead with less than a minute to go. What happened in the final minute was incredible. 
Dirk and the Mavs missed several pivotal free throws, and Nash scored 10 straight points for the Suns, including a three-pointer with 2.7 seconds left to tie it and send it to overtime. Got to get the rebound if he misses. He makes it. They're going. Oh, not going to take it. They're going. Which they have left. So here we go. You have to go for tie. And it's Nash. He takes the three for the tie. It's short. They might get another chance. Marion. Here's Nash. Another three. Oh, it's no. Steve. Nash. <laughs> In overtime, the Suns led most of the way, but then Jason Terry hit a three-pointer in the final seconds to send it to double overtime. This period also came down to the last shot, but this time, Davitsky missed a 14-footer, and the Suns won 129-127. Nash finished with 32 points and 16 assists, while Nowitzki had 30 points and 16 rebounds. Shout out once again to Cody Hunt. For helping produce this segment, follow him on Twitter at CO underscore D Hunt. So Sam, last week we spent part of the episode celebrating how good Jordan McRae was going to be on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, remember that? It was pretty pathetic, actually, because that was like the <laughs> most optimistic part of the episode. It really um, was. Yeah. And, and then, then what happened? <laughs> Derrick Rose happened again. So Derrick Rose yeah. fucks over the Suns twice in one week. First, he hits that uh, that floater at the end uh, of the Pistons game, and the Suns lose that one. Or he hits a couple of clutch baskets, was it, right, in the last minute? Yeah. Uh, and then he goes and gets injured. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the Pistons, who happened the one time that the Suns need to have the worst record, they don't. Right, because then the Pistons have the worst record, and they're able to use the waiver rules to claim Jordan McRae, who the Suns wanted off of waivers, uh, and so Jordan McRae goes to the Pistons and not the Suns. Um, tanking would have helped the Suns out in this situation, I guess. But look, it's just Jordan McRae; it's not a big deal. You could argue that it was already too late for him to make a huge difference for the Suns' season anyway, especially given that uh, if we knew what we know now, right, which is that Aiton would get injured and Cam Johnson would get injured right. and all that. Um, but it just would have been nice to have a, a self-creator off the bench who can score like he can. Yeah, I think um, the part that kind of sucks for the Suns is the same reason the Suns were trying to get him off the waiver uh, was to own those bird rights and be able to sign him next year. Now that's owned by Detroit. If Detroit wants to keep him, they basically can. They have a better situation for keeping him uh, than the Suns do. So if the Suns still want him, they he will be a free agent, so they could potentially get him this summer. Uh, it just becomes a little bit harder because they were not able to get him on the waiver wire. Um, but maybe they had the answer all along. Uh, something I wanted to talk to you about, Sam, was Eliakobo played one of the two wins that we're talking about and did not play the other. In the Portland game where the Suns... Uh, went up by a lot early and then struggled to win the game because Portland really found their way back into that game. Eliakobo in that game was minus 18. So while he was on the floor, Portland outscored the Suns by 18 points in a game that the Suns still won thanks to an impressive performance by the starting lineup. He did not play at all in the Bucks game, and it was another wire-to-wire victory I, I will say that I think it's Javon Carter is the reason I think that they played so well. Ty Jerome did play in uh, both of those games. He played more minutes in the Bucks game 
Uh, do you have any thoughts on Eliakobo seemingly finding his way out of the rotation finally? <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, we've been talking about it all season long, right? And every time we say, I think this is Monty making a statement, he's making a change to this rotation, he goes in and he does the opposite the next week. So Eliakobo could easily find himself back in the rotation ahead of Javon Carter next week. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, I think it's obvious that none of these three guys are the answer, at least not right now. Ty Jerome, you're going to continue to try to develop him. Um, Javon Carter, I think, has had some really good spurts uh, this season. He looks good when he can hit the three, and I think he's the one of the three who's closest to being a replacement-level backup point guard. Doesn't make him a good one, but a competent backup point guard is the closest. Uh, And with Ellie, I don't know, man. Ellie's shown flashes a couple of times, but... Is this is this basically the end of the Eliakobo story for the Phoenix Suns? Are they going to bring him yeah. back for another year? You think? Yeah. No, I, right? don't, I, like, I think I think you're right. I think it's probably the end. I um, I picked Eliakobo as you probably remember as my most likely to fail, uh, <laughs> which is hard. I know that's mean, but we had to pick somebody, right? It was one of the categories that we had, and uh, I just think that he's been really bad recently. Uh, he's also not a James Jones guy. He was somebody that was drafted by Ryan McDonough. And I just, there's all of the data points to him being basically the worst player on the Phoenix Suns. He's been pretty bad. The Suns are consistently outscored without him on the floor. And I just wonder if this was the, this was his last chance. And, uh, I kind of hope to see more Javon Carter as I've kind of been talking about all season. I I think if he continues to hit his threes as he seems to be capable of now, I don't think it's a blip anymore. I think he's just a capable shooter when he's wide open, which he generally is because you can't trust him to, you can't trust him to run the offense. He's almost like a shooting guard. Basically. Uh, He just stands in the corner. He can hit those threes, especially now that Devin Booker has that really cool, like post tap pass where he's just kind of tapping it out to the shooter i mean javon carter can now hit that eliakobo you can't be confident he's going to make the right decision in those scenarios so i think you might be right i think it might be the end of the eliakobo era maybe he'll be traded uh i'm not sure what his contract situation looks like but i don't he's know if we'll see a, him again did we accept it i don't even know i should have looked it up he probably has a team option for next year that was already accepted um yeah, so he's probably got right. one one more year uh but it's funny you said you prefer watching javon carter like isn't that obvious doesn't is there anyone who doesn't prefer watching javon carter to elia kobo even right. if javon carter is missing his threes the defensive intensity is amazing to watch out of that guy i mean that's his calling card what does ellie really bring to the table i think he has some games uh where he really looks like a competent slashing guard and those games have been really fun. And those have been the games I've kind of been trying to cling to as I look for the potential in this guy. But the playmaking potential isn't really there. Um, the defensive potential is spotty. I mean, he's got the physical attributes. Like, he's literally a long guy. But that doesn't mean he's actually very good uh, on that end. It's just kind of hard to see what his future is. I definitely believe that some other team with a great development system could pick him up and he becomes a competent backup point guard. I just don't know that it's worth it for the Suns to invest those resources anymore. Right. I think no matter what, even if the Suns keep both Elia Kobo and Javon Carter on the on the roster next season, clearly they're going to look for some sort of better solution at that guard position uh, next season. Uh, obviously Ty Jerome can be there as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the off season with that position. As we've talked about this whole season, we should let that's enough about the bench. Uh, let's actually talk about the starting lineup 
that has been working in these games. Now, we touched on Aaron Baines, of course, hitting three-pointers. And as I've been shouting this entire season, the importance of DeAndre Ayton at least taking three-pointers at some point in his career. Uh, Mikhail Bridges being that glue guy. Dario Saric having uh, space to operate. Uh, what do you think is another reason why this starting lineup is working? Well, I think we need to talk about Ricky Rubio. Yes. We haven't really mentioned Ricky Rubio, and I think that's telling in this episode. You know, part of it's intentional, really, but we have, <laughs> though we haven't really <laughs> talked about him. But I think you look online and you don't see much discourse on Ricky Rubio. So let me just read Ricky Rubio's stats since the All-Star break. He's averaging close, this is approximate, but 16 points per game, 6 rebounds, 11 assists, 2.5 steals, less than 3 turnovers on 47% from the field, 38% from deep, and 89% from the free throw line. It's absurdly good. It's like it's like prime Steve Nash mixed with like prime Rajon Rondo to get the steal numbers and the rebound numbers, you know? Like what Ricky Rubio is doing right now, we need to take notice. And why I think it's important is because I first noticed this the other day with the Portland game. Every single starter made a contribution. Every single starter from the box score alone, you look at those stats, had a good game. Except then you go to the rightmost column of the box score, you look at plus minus. Ricky Rubio was a plus 32 in that game. Devin Booker, who he started next to, and who also had a very good game, was a minus three. Obviously, that says a lot about the strength of the Suns' backup guards when you have that sort of major discrepancy between those two statistics, because it shows how the Suns, every time Ricky Rubio leaves the floor, when they try to put anyone else next to Devin Booker, uh, they essentially blow the lead. But I do think it's worth talking about, if you look at the net rating stats right now, and consistently throughout the season, there is no better combo for the Suns, statistically, than Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker together. When And I looked it up. This is all data courtesy of the Basketball Index, our friends over there. Um, when Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker play together and are on the court at the same time, the Suns this season have a net rating of plus 7.5 points per 100 possessions. Any other combo that they have, whether it's Booker by himself, whether it's Rubio by himself, or whether it's neither of them, is negative. Every other potential combo, whether it's Aaron Baines starting at center, whether it's DeAndre Ayton starting at center, whether Kelly Oubre is in or out, whether Mikhail Bridges is in the starting lineup or not, or not, basically every other combination is negative. But the one constant that we have is that we know that Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker play very well together. And I think if you if you just step back and examine that a little bit, it makes a lot of sense because it's kind of the perfect combo of Rubio gives you the defense, he gives you the playmaking, he gives you the poise to make the right reads consistently, almost never making a mistake, running Monty's .5 offense. Devin Booker gives you the self-creation that this team so desperately lacks whenever uh, he's off the floor and Rubio tries to create for himself but really can't. When you put the two together, it is just a, a fantastic fantastic combo uh and so i mean essentially that's why i think these starting lineups have done so well is because those two are such a potent combination uh and what the suns need to do now in the future is they need to work to stop staggering these two guys uh and and just have the two of them play together as much as possible and what that involves is getting rid of guys like ellie kobo and bringing in more competent backup guards in the future so that you can maximize uh, maximize the amount of time that you have ricky rubio and devin booker on the court together because we now are reasonably certain based on the stats that we have a combination that works 
um, and that has transformed the Sun system. It has turned them into the best playmaking team in the NBA. They went from 20th in assists last season to first Mm -hmm. in a single year. And I don't think we mentioned that enough. Uh, you know, that's credit to Monty Williams, obviously, for implementing the system, but it's also credit for Ricky Rubio for doing a phenomenal job. Um, and so I think he deserves some credit for that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Ricky Rubio's season has been interesting. I do want to talk about why you think he takes so much heat from some Suns fans. And I think uh, you're in a good position to talk about this. You're, you're writing an article about Ricky Rubio for Bright Side of the Sun, which should be out by the time most people are listening to this podcast. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot in there uh, about that. So I do want to get your opinion on that. But one thing I want to just point out with Ricky Rubio in his shooting. So he takes a lot of heat for... Uh, the shots, it, they say, you know, a lot of people will say he's just not a good enough shooter uh, to be an effective point guard in today's NBA. But on catch and shoots for the season, he's shooting 41 uh, percent from the three wow. point line. That's yeah, a great for, stat. That's a great a, fucking stat. And on um, pull ups, I just want to say on pull up three pointers, it's 14.9 percent. So, <laughs> yeah. So the difference in his catch and shoots and his pull-ups is so so massive that it affects his percentage drastically but that's on the season and on the season i should say he shot 47 pull-ups and 131 catch and shoots that number is way off but in the last 10 games he's shooting 48 percent on catch and shoots and just an abysmal percentage on pull-ups but the pull-ups is down to only like eight Uh, pull-up attempts in the last 10 games so I think that whether it be Ricky Rubio realizing it himself or the coaching staff trying to make a point uh, of emphasizing those catch and shoots uh, I think that over time if those numbers are put in the right order right if he shoots a lot more catch and shoots than those pull-ups that percentage is going to go up pretty drastically I think he's a capable catch and shoot player this season not just a capable one a good one uh you know not a lot mm-hmm. of attempts really but still a good catch and shoot three-point shooter so 41 far this season 41 percent is very good and to go back to your question i know exactly why i think he takes heat for it it all comes back to the same thing the suns fans are tired of losing they desperately want to cling to this idea that there is a superstar player on this roster with devin booker making the all-star uh, the all-star game for the first time in his career I'm here to tell you guys that player doesn't exist yet. There is no player with superstar impact on the Phoenix Suns currently. It might hurt to hear that, but just Devin Booker, as he currently is, he's not that guy. What it's forced the Suns to do is stagger the two of them and create these situations because if you have Ricky Rubio by himself, without Devin Booker, he takes a lot of heat because he's awkward looking and he takes these shitty mid-range, you know, lefty-leaning jump shots that uh, (laughs) miss more often than they make. And he's not capable of getting the offense going. And when Devin Booker is by himself, the Suns don't play defense. In the lineups with uh, just Devin Booker but no Ricky Rubio this season, the Suns have a defensive rating of 117 points allowed per 100 possessions. That is very bad. It is atrociously bad defensively. So the truth is, the Suns just don't have a player who can impact the game at an elite level on both ends of the court. What they do have are two guys, Rubio who has been uh, indisputably a good defensive player and also a good offensive player for his playmaking potential, and Booker, who is indisputably an amazing offensive talent. And when you combine the two, 
we see an effect that at this point, three-fourths of the way through the season, is impossible to ignore. That the Suns are capable of beating not just average teams, but good teams, when those two guys are on the court at the same time. No guy is able to do it by himself. Not Ricky Rubio, not Devin Booker. It is up to James Jones to add more NBA quality talents to this roster in the summer because if you can ensure that those two guys play as much as possible, the wins will start to come uh, in abundance next season. But it's just, if you continue to stagger these two guys, neither one by himself is capable of getting it done. You know, we know, I think Ricky Rubio is having a very good season for a player who's a nine-year veteran, um, but we, to an extent, know what he is. He's never going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer or a 25-point-per-game scorer who hits pull-up threes at a 40% clip. That's just not what he's capable of doing. Um, And so at a certain point, you know, you have to have reasonable expectations and look at what these players are working with. Look at who their teammates are. Uh, and, and what, you know, what the ceiling is that they're capable of dragging those teammates to, mm-hmm. to an extent, because we've talked about this all season. There's only like five or six, maybe seven real NBA quality talents who you can kind of hang your hat on, who you can trust to be consistent uh, on this whole roster. And when two or three of them are injured, you're mostly in trouble. Right, right. Uh I do want to give you a chance to just talk a little bit about the article that you're writing. I think the conceit of the article is an interesting article. And of course, I want people to go and read it. But uh, what what exactly is it about? Yeah, no, I mean, I've just been regurgitating points from the article already because I know there's not, I'll be honest with you, there's not like a huge crossover, I think, between people who listen to this podcast and people who listen to, um, sorry, read Brightside. It's a bit of a different crowd. Credit to you if, if you do both. Um, but it's it's just about, I think we've arrived at a point where all of the on-off data is showing that the Suns are always at their best when Ricky Rubio is on the court. And the differentials and how the Suns play with Ricky Rubio on the court versus Ricky Rubio off the court consistently um, are the best among any player on the team. I think it's getting to a point where we can argue Ricky Rubio is not the most talented player on the Suns. If you put him in a one-on-one contest between Devin Book- him and Devin Booker, he's going to get cooked. Uh, and you can't plan your offense around him. You know, he, he's never going to be the focal point exactly of your offense. But because of how he's raised the ceilings of those around him, because of the difference that he's made uh, in giving the Suns those amazing on-off differentials, because of the way that he spreads uh, spreads the ball around, spreads the love to all of his teammates, you could argue, I think, that he's been the MVP of the Suns this season. What I mentioned before about the Suns going 20th in assists to first in a single season, that wasn't really Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker's made some improvements in the way that he makes reads now. I think he's more capable of making even more difficult reads. But Ricky Rubio is the guy who's transformed the entire system. He's the guy who's made .5 possible. He's given the Suns an identity. Because last season, the Suns weren't elite at anything. They sucked at spot-up shooting. They sucked at passing. They sucked at isolation scoring. They obviously sucked at defense. And this season, they suck at a lot of shit, too. We still want them to convert on more wide-open threes than they actually hit. But they're elite at one thing, and that is playmaking, and that is thanks to Ricky Rubio. So if you're looking at an actual MVP who has come in and has transformed the Suns the most this season, um, I think there's a very, very good case that it's Ricky Rubio. It's not Devin Booker. And I think more Suns fans should at least, you don't necessarily have to agree with me. I don't expect most people to agree with me on that. But I think you should at least think about it and think about the actual impact that Rubio has had on the Suns this season and how it would hurt a lot uh, to not have that type of player running the show for you at the point guard position. Yep, I agree with that, and I'm looking forward to reading that. 
the Suns schedule coming up is actually really interesting. Something you and I were talking about. Uh, something like over the next nine days, there's two games. Is that right? Yeah, two games. Yeah, two games in the next week and a half. Yeah, we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, at they're both on the road. By the way, I think there's ten games the rest of this month. Uh, eight of them are on the road. So. Hopefully the Suns will continue to be a better team on the road than they have been at home if you want more wins this season. Uh, The next game is, for most of you, it's today, which is Tuesday, at Portland. And then there's at Dallas on Saturday. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on either of those games? Not particularly. I mean, do we think that Portland is going to game plan for Aaron Baines this time? Or are they just going (laughs) to try and, and bank on him you know, dare him to do it again, right? That's that's the prevailing question as we head yeah. into Portland. I can say if they dare him to do it again and he does, that's only <laughs> going to last one quarter. I think that they're not going to allow him to do uh, to make nine to get close to ten threes. Like he had a legitimate chance of making ten three pointers in that game. So I can't imagine they're going to allow him to go off in that same way. Uh, it will be interesting to see. Uh, how that game goes. Uh, Nurkic will not be back yet. I just think looking forward, without Cam Johnson, by the way, who has mono. Oh, um, yeah. We yeah. haven't really mentioned that. That's that's his injury, if you will. Uh, he's sick. That can um, take you out for, for a few weeks, though. Yeah, they're expecting... I think they said they're going to reevaluate him in two weeks, which is not a ton of games, but it's still some games at this point of the season. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, also update on him. He's not going to be back for the rest of the season, so he's just out. Uh, no Frank Kaminsky. And then uh, there's no real update on DeAndre Ayton. He's not playing at Portland. We know that so far, uh, and we don't know when he's coming back after that. It's difficult to envision a scenario where the Suns can continue winning. Now, it would take... <laughs> Pretty remarkable games by uh, Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, and Mikhail Bridges once again. You can expect what you can expect out of Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio. It's up to everyone else to to hit their shots. So I think for both of those games, uh, if they do hit shots, they have a chance to win. If they don't, it's going to be hard. Yeah, we can't really offer any (laughs) more in-depth analysis than that, right? Need to hit shots to win these games because that's what the Suns system is creating and that's what um, opponents even want the Suns to do right now. As I mentioned, box and one uh, early on in the episode, when you do that to another player, like we rarely see that at the NBA level because most teams know that uh, other teams can beat that system if they have competent basketball players. That's Toronto, Nick Nurse, and uh, Milwaukee, Mike Budenholzer, two of the top coaches in the NBA, banking on the fact that the Suns don't have enough competent basketball players to win the game. Mm-hmm. That should tell you something about how other coaches feel about the Phoenix Suns right now. They don't trust Aaron Baines and Dario Saric and Javon Carter. So hopefully those guys play with a chip on their shoulder because that's what it's going to take uh, to win some of these games. Yep, that's right. We'll be back after that Dallas game. Uh, and we'll preview the next games. Of course, hopefully we'll talk about at least one win. There's only two games here, so hopefully we'll at least be talking about one win. Do you have anything else you'd like to say to the people before we end this one? That is it. I am very glad uh, that you listened to this episode. Um, And if you listened to the last episode as well, I'm glad that I don't have to eat uh, ghost chili pepper. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I was never going to do that.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.